So you all ready for Christmas? Yeah, that's what I thought. And if one, what if somebody said, we're all coming over to your house and you're responsible for all the decorations, you're responsible for all the preparation, all the food stuff, and it's got to be just perfect. You go, where do I go? Where's the exit? How do I get out of this? But really, the, the question is, are you ready for Christmas? Are you ready for Christmas? Have you done all the preps? No, probably not. And you might not get around to doing most of the stuff that sometimes is pictured as to preparations that need to be done. But you wouldn't be alone in that. Because if you look at the Advent, if you look at the coming of the Savior, you would say, what a hot mess. I mean, here you have a babe who is supposed to be the Savior, and we know that he's the Son of God, and where does he show up but in a manger, surrounded by not thousands of worshipers, but some animals. The announcement is sent out by angels. Well, at least that's done right. But the shepherds? Come on now. Where are the noblemen? Where are, where are the church leaders? Where are, where are those people? And even when the wise men come bearing gifts and you go, all right, finally got it. Sounds like an important element. They go to the wrong place. They go to Jerusalem. Come on, some planning needs to have been happening here. Well, actually, there was some planning that went into the coming of our Savior. But I have a question for you. What is the most essential item you can have ready to go for Christmas? Do you know? We'll talk about it. Now, a little bit of true confession here. I, I went down a rabbit trail this week. I, it comes around to this time of year, and the pastor's got to come up with some messages that center on Christmas, right? So where do you go? Because you know your audience and you know yourself and you know you've talked about this before. How do you come up with something new when the basis is all the same? And I ran across a phrase and the phrase took me down the rabbit trail. And the phrase was something that I saw and it was from the foundation of the world. From the foundation of the world. And I thought in terms of the advent that God had prepared stuff from the foundation of the world. It wasn't last minute by any means. It was prepped 
well prepped by God. He was, he had it all ready to go from the foundation of the world. So I want to give you some phrases and they're outlined there in your, in your uh, notes if you have them. Some phrases that came across to me as I was looking up uh, these passages. And I invite you, first of all, to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. Now, a lot of times we get after Peter because he, you know, he regularly stuck his foot in his mouth and didn't say the right things. But when he got some of this down in print, he certainly got some good stuff written for us. And in 1 Peter, the first chapter, he's, he begins in chapter 3, in Chapter 1, verse 3, says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then he goes on. And he's almost like the Apostle Paul in the sense that he has like one big long run-on sentence. But I want to jump in at verse 17. Verse 17 We read this. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. He's talking to believers here, knowing that you were ransomed from your futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, and that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. So the very first thing that I want you to be thinking about that was prepped from the foundation of the world is this. That Christ was foreknown. So when we come to the birth of Christ, God knew all about Jesus, knew about what he was about, knew what he was going to do. And from the foundation of the world, Christ was foreknown but as Peter writes after the fact, but now revealed to believers' sake so that our faith and hope are in God. In other words, God knew all along that Jesus Christ was going to be the keystone to our salvation. He was foreknown by God. It wasn't any guess like, I wonder what we're going to do here. How are we going to handle things? God says, I have a person in mind. This is the one that's going to redeem mankind. And he says, and he's been revealed now. Peter's writing. He's been revealed for believers' sake so that our faith and hope are in God. So the first thing we know that Christ was part of the plan of this first advent that we celebrate, the 
when we come around to Christmas and we talk about the birth of Christ, there was Christ was the only one that was going to fill a bill. And he was planned from the foundation of the world. God said, this is the one. And Peter writes after the fact, and he says, and now he's been revealed. We know that God who planned this from the beginning now has sent our son, his son, to redeem us. But it's the only thing that was from the foundation of the world. So I'd like you to turn just a, a couple pages over to the book of Hebrews. And in chapter 9, we see something else that was from the foundation of the world. In Hebrews chapter 9, the writer of Hebrews, I think it was Apostle Paul, but you could have other opinions. says in Hebrews chapter 9, he's talking about what the people had come to know about the sacrificial system and how the sacrifices were made for a, a covering for sin so a person could find an expression to be right with God and, and uh, God would see the humbleness of their heart through their offerings. But it really didn't take care of their sin. And there was a necessity to have someone who would be someone who would take care of the sin issue. In Hebrews chapter 9, reading in verse 24 and following, we read this. For Christ has entered, not in the holy places made with hands, and he's making reference here to the tabernacle or to the temple. He said that Jesus didn't come into those earthly buildings that were built uh, by man as a place to come and meet with God. He says he didn't come in there he says, because they're copies of the true thing. But into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God in our behalf. Nor was it, it an off, to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy place year after year with blood not his own. For then he would have had, had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And he says, there was from the plan of God, we know that Jesus Christ was foreknown. He was the one that was going to provide salvation. And we know something else too, that from the very beginning, from the foundation of the world, there would be a once-for-all sacrifice of Christ for sin. Sounds like somebody has, has thought this out. A once-for-all sacrifice of Christ for sin. So we see a couple things here that, that God had put into the works way before we would have even thought of any kind of story. In fact, if we look at the Bible, we see that a majority of, of the text of the Bible was written before Jesus Christ ever showed up on the scene in the, in the time period that we think of 
when he was born and born in the manger. Most of the of the scripture up until that point had been written. There's only some left over in what we call the New Testament, but most of it had been written before. But before all of that, before the foundation of the world, from that foundation, God had already established that there would be a Savior. It would be Jesus Christ, and his sacrifice would be once for all for sin. But there's other facts, too, that are laid out. Things that are revealed here. I want to back up a little bit in Hebrews chapter 4 and and look at another statement that's made here by the writer of Hebrews because I think it's strategic when it comes to understanding Jesus Christ's arrival here on earth and the intention that God had from the foundation of the world. In in Hebrews chapter 4, we read this, beginning in verse 3. We who have believed enter that rest. He's talking about a rest, which is to be in right relationship with the living God. He says, we who have believed enter that rest. As he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has some more spoken on the seventh day in this way. God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. So we see something interesting here. I just wanted to sort of guide you through this passage a little bit because he's talking about a particular time, a time period in the Old Testament when the Jews had come out of Egypt. They had made their way to Mount Sinai. God had given them the law. Then he had led them up to the promised land. They sent in spies, remember that? They sent in spies, one from each tribe representing And they came back, and ten came back with a bad report. He says, there's lots of good stuff in that country, but there's also big giants. We dare not go in. And Joshua and Caleb said, oh, yeah, but our God is bigger than those giants. Let's go and take them. This is the land that God has. And the people all said, no, we listen to the ten. We're not going to listen to the two. And God said, okay, that's the case. I'm not going to let you enter in. And he says, I'm not going to let you enter into that land. And he called it into my rest. Well, you go, that's an interesting expression because when we think of rest, we think of Sunday afternoon, right? Go and sit in a chair or something, maybe watch a show, maybe some football or something like that if you're into football. But not doing much But what were the Jews going to do? They were going to go into the land and they were going to conquer the land. But God says, oh, that will be my rest. That will be a good place to go. That will be a rest. But he says, you 
who have chosen not to listen to this to these two and say, yes, our God is greater than those in the land. He says, I'm not going to let you enter into the rest. You're not going to do it. But that passage began this way. Back in verse 3, he says, we who have believed enter the rest. So what was the problem with those children of Israel when they came up to the border and didn't enter in? It was a lack of belief. But I want you to notice something here, that in this passage, the provision for entering into rest was made when? When his works were finished from the foundation of the world. And you go, you lost me, Pastor. Where are you going with this? The provision to enter into rest was not going to be by works. It wasn't going to be by any effort that anybody would be able to do. It wouldn't be because a person was a certain race or had followed a certain creed or was have a certain educational level. It wasn't any of those things. God has said, if you're going to enter into my rest, it's going to be because you believe. So from the foundation of the world, the provision of salvation is through, and you ought to know this one, faith. It says, we who believe enter that rest. But he makes reference to a passage, a cross-reference, and I'd like for us to go there for a moment. It's found in Psalm 95. Psalm 95 is reflecting on some of these things, talking about the Jewish experience and, and entering into the rest that God had provided for them, the promised land. And in Psalm 95, we read this. Verse 6, he says, O come, and let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Verse 7, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the sheep of His hand today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Mirabah, as on the day at Manasseh in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. In other words, he said, they had seen me destroy the Egyptian. He had seen them seeing God lead them through the Red Sea. He had seen the provision of a cloud by day and a, a pillar of fire by night. He had seen all these things. He had seen them fed with, with manna. He had seen the, the uh, food that God had provided. All these provisions and water, all these things, this traveling group of millions of people had seen all that. And yet they tested. He says, 
Do not harden your hearts like they did. When your fathers put me to the test, verse 9, and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work, for 40 years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So the avenue of entering into rest with God, into a right relationship, is by faith, taking him at his word. God says, I'm going to take the Jews, I'm going to take them to the land, I'm going to let them go in, they're going to conquer the land, they're going to have a homeland for themselves. God says, this group said no, they hardened their hearts, and he says, I'm going to keep them out. So from the foundation of the world, the provision of salvation was through faith. But I've got a couple more for you. In the passage that that Tom read for us today, in Ephesians, the first chapter, he said, and I'll just, I'll read it here for you again. You can turn to it if you'd like. Ephesians 1, 3, and 4. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who had blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Did you catch that? When we're talking about Advent and the coming of Jesus, our Savior, he says, there was something else going on back then too. In the, from the foundation of the world, God the Father has chosen us to be holy and blameless in Jesus Christ. That was God's plan from the beginning. Wow. Then not only he knew the one that was going to do that, that was Jesus Christ, and that he was going to be a once-for-all sacrifice, that was from God's plan from the beginning. And the only way that we would access that is by faith, And here he says, I just didn't want to save you. I wanted to give you something. I wanted you to be holy and blameless in Christ. Two more. This is from the upper room. And I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Jesus now, at the latter days of his life, is in the upper room with his disciples. And in John chapter 17, we really have the Lord's Prayer. This is the Lord talking to his Father in prayer. And while he's in the midst of this prayer, he says this in verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, he's talking about believers now, followers of Christ, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. And you go, well, duh. I mean, he was the son. Of course, the father loved him. 
But Jesus prays this out loud, knowing exactly what's going to happen within a few hours. In a few hours, he's going to be betrayed. He's going to be taken away. He's going through a mockery of a trial. And then that would lead to uh, an appearance before Pilate and then off to the cross and he's going to die. But what does he say to his disciples? I want you to know that from the beginning, and I reaffirm it now in my prayer, that my Father loves me. He said, well, that's a strange way to put it, that he would sacrifice you. No, he says, you don't understand. I know he loves me. He cares for me. And he's going to resurrect me. And so we have this. From the foundation of the world, Jesus Christ has been loved by the Father and desires us to experience the glory of of that relationship. He says, I'm looking forward to the time when this love that I've experienced from the foundation of the world would be your experience and we'd be together in this and you would see the very glory of God. It's important because Romans 3.23 all have sinned and what? Fall short. Of the glory of God. And Jesus is praying here to his father. And he says, I know you love me, father. You've loved me from the beginning. From the foundation of the world, you've loved me. And that might be called into question. <laughs> but it's true. And I want them in time to come where, where we are in your presence. And see the glory that is manifest because of what has been done. And who you are and who I am in our relationship together. I want to invite them in. One more statement for you. Found in Matthew chapter 25. So you can go there for a moment. In Matthew chapter 25, I just want to say this. That God had this all thought out. And he uses this phrase over and over again from, from the foundation of the world. So you know this wasn't happenstance. God didn't see that there was going to be a need for a Savior at the last minute. But this was something from the foundation of the world. And what did he say? Do you remember what we, when we were looking in Hebrews? He says that when God said, it's finished, it's good, everything that we have talked about was part of that plan. It wasn't just that there would be light and dark and there would be daytime and nighttime and there would be animals and all these kind of things, fish of the sea, the stars in the sky. He says, what also was going on from the foundation of the world was all this was being set and established and ready to go. 
Matthew chapter 25. Jesus is teaching and he's talking about judgment to come. And he says, and when the Son of Man, verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne and before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate the people one from another as shepherd separates sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right hand and the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come to you, come you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. God always had a plan that we would be in his presence for eternity. And he knew that. So the fall didn't catch God off guard. And the Advent that we celebrate this time of year wasn't anything that caught God off guard. He had prepared for it. In fact, in one of the epistles it says, in the fullness of time, at the right time, God sent forth his Son. But it was prepared from the foundation of the world. So have you figured out what's the one thing you need to be have in order for your Christmas to be successful? You say, well, maybe my Christmas is going to be as much disarray as that first Christmas when we had shepherds and wise men going to the wrong place and birth in the manger and all that stuff. He says, no, no. Those kind of things, the circumstance there is unimportant. The important thing is a right heart. A right heart. And you say, of all the things that you can do to prepare for Christmas is to have a right heart. That was the plan of God. If you look at these passages again, and you have them in your notes, you can look them up again. Look back and see that everywhere along the line he talks about that right relationship with him. And that is the key to being prepared for Christmas. How can we celebrate if we say, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to put together a particular meal and I'm going to have these people over and we might have some gifts to exchange or something or you like Christmas cookies? Yeah, I like Christmas cookies. We get all that stuff. And you go, and, and, and the one thing that gets left out of the equation is our relationship to him. And somehow the day goes by and weirdness of weirdness. We're there to celebrate his coming to earth. And we don't even think about him. Much less stop and ponder and give thanks and make sure our heart is right with him. For loved ones that don't know him, 
What's the best gift they could could receive at Christmas time? Is Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's the one. That's the thing. To be rightly related to him this Christmas. What a wonderful gift. In a few moments, we're going to do the Lord's table. I just want to lead you in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we're going to be sharing these elements in a moment. And as we do, we're going to reflect on the plans that you had established from the foundation of the world. Plans that would bring about the reconciliation our hearts to yours. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son and his willingness to to be sacrificed on our behalf, innocent for the guilty. And Heavenly Father, as we go through this month of, of thinking about Christmas, whether the day is right or not is not important. What's right is that our heart is right. So, Heavenly Father, as we come to share the elements in a moment, we want to humble ourselves before you and your gracious gift of salvation through your Son. We give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.